0: Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Conrad Carroll, our youth pastor, is going to be bringing us some Bible teaching today. Open up your hearts. and God is going to speak because this is the Bible. This is the living, breathing word of God. Amen. Thank you, Greg. Well, good morning. I am so excited to be in the same digital space as you um, this morning. Or, I mean, I hope you're joining us live, but some of you might be watching, you know, a little later. So if it's the afternoon, if it's the evening, at at this moment, we are going to jump into uh, the text. Um, We're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 12, starting in verse 9. So now now is a fine time to scramble around and find a Bible. I don't know if you've noticed this uh, while you've been live streaming these services, but if you're watching it on your TV or com- or your computer, you're fine. You just use your phone and you click along to the Bible app. But what if you're streaming on your phone? So now like you have to forage around for a paper copy of the scripture. <laughs> the digital one is just as valid, but but man, there's something special about this one, especially when your phone is being occupied. So now might be that great great time to, to look for that. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, is where we're going to be. We're in the middle of uh, our series, One Body, Many Parts. And today is part four, The Mark of True Christians. If we dive right into this text, we will see exactly what uh, this mark is. But before that... I want to pause. I want to ask God to, I want to ask him to pause our busy hearts and minds so that we can focus on him and hear um, what he has to say. Because if we're going to have a conversation, we want to make sure that we are listening. Um, So let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for today. Um, I just, I thank you for the sky the breeze god the the beautiful scenery that's all around us the mountains the the grass the flowers it's it's gorgeous it's beautiful and it's all your handiwork it's easy for us to forget when when we live in homes built by the hands of men and and we drive on streets and there's street lights everywhere and telephone wires and It's easy to get caught up in in all of that But but god even all of that you made man and you made us so creative And you made us so ingenuitive and we used it for so much good stuff and we also used it for so much evil and yet You redeemed us god you saw all of our evil and and you sent your son To be a substitute for us and we are so grateful god. So this morning we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our ears to hear things new today, God, that that you would open our hearts to receive a message from you. God, I pray that you would get all of my agendas out of the way, except for the one that you have sent me to do, God, which is to preach your word. So God, today, this time, it's all for you. We just pray that you would be glorified in us and through us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's uh, open up our Bibles and we will dive right in. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. And uh, the version that we uh, usually have here at the church is the NLT. Um, So here's what it says. Don't pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who, are, who, who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all things that you can. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scripture says, I t- I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And man, I don't, I don't know what you're thinking, but like to me, this is just like a fire hose of, of all such great stuff. There, there's so many great things in here, so beautiful. And even though these are all marks of a true Christian, today we're narrowing in on just one aspect of, of this that I'm calling the mark of true Christians. And that is humble submission. Humble Submission and, and honestly, it's not um, explicitly stated anywhere in this passage that we just read, but it is a constant thread running through, um, because you can't take delight in honoring others without humility. You can't uh, think, you, you, if you don't think you know it all, it's because you have humility and because you have submission towards others. Um, But more importantly, other than just seeing this thread, we need to look at the context. Why is Paul giving these Roman Christians a huge list of good Christian characteristics? What is his purpose? What's his goal here? And an important step to finding context in the Bible or literally anywhere else is to just look at what just happened. You know, take a little step back. So if, if we look at just the six verses... Before the passage we just read, we'll see uh, so yeah, it's also Romans 12:3. Um, we'll see that Paul just finished up using one of his favorite analogies for the church, which is the body of Christ." In verse three, he warns them by saying, "Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us." Then he proceeds to say, that we are all one body with many members, each one with their own purpose, and we have to work together. You know, kind of like our series title, One Body, Many Parts. But that brings us to our first point here, is that, click, Ah, I thought it was working. Yeah, okay. Healthy members of a body submit to one another. Healthy members of a body submit to one another. Some of us can look at this and say, like, we get it, Paul. We, we know we need to work together. This is Church 101. But I, I'd love just to even step back a little bit further um, to see what's going on with the church in Rome altogether. Because Paul is writing, honestly, one of his longest letters, at least that we have, to this church in Rome, filled with tons of, of doctrine and exhortations and encouragements. But what was his goal of the whole letter? If we know the goal of the whole letter, it'll help us to see Romans chapter 12 for what it actually is. It'll help us to see why he's giving them this list, and it'll help us to get to where we need to go today so uh, this is a brief history of romans it all started back when at pentecost when the holy spirit fell the disciples spoke different languages but everyone could tell what they were saying despite varying speech because people came north south west east to jerusalem to celebrate the feast Peter stood up tall in the presence of them all to tell them what Jesus had done to save us from the fall. Three thousand souls joined their number. God's grace struck like thunder in each heart, which then began to wonder as their community was torn asunder. As under persecution, those from there stayed, but the rest frayed as they ran, afraid, they must have thought, is this the end of the mend that made God and men friends? But luckily, as Apostle Paul, as Apostle Luke penned, this evacuation was actually a send. These Jewish travelers called Cyrene and Egypt and Arabia their homes uh, Elam, Media, Parthia, Mesopotamia, Pontius, Cappadocia, Pamphylia, Phrygia, Asia, Crete, and yes, even. Rome. They returned to their cities, eyes wide, smiles pretty, because their hearts had been changed, understandings rearranged. They knew the Messiah. It was the man they had estranged. They yelled, hang or mangle him. The devil put his fangs in him. What pain and strain as the nails go through the hands, he says, it's done. Then they speared him in the abdomen and buried him. And previously, most of these thought this was a wacko's execution, but now they had met the man spiritually firsthand, and they know he's the solution to sin's cause. So they flaunt him in their synagogues, clearing fogs evident in the scripture, saying, remember Daniel, son of man? I've seen his picture. While while many places were, had been graced with the faces of apostles, Italy was still hard to reach for the servants of the gospels. This Roman church was likely formed, like I just explained, by men returning from, uh, from Pentecost, sharing news unashamed. Many Jews would see the truth of Jesus and his sovereign rule, and non-Jews began to see it too, by the evidence of regular old me's and you's They met in different people's houses, no big buildings or parking lots. They spend Sabbath meals together, worshiping the Son of God, while still attending temple meetings, greeting and pleading that they would see the new king. But honestly, many other Jews didn't want to see or hear it. All of the blah, blah, blah about the Son sending the Spirit. Arguments turn into irate debates. Hateful riots take place. And after all of this, Emperor Claudius made their fate. The Jews would be exiled from Rome's gates. Wait. What about the church? The leaders are all Jews. What, now no crutches? The remaining non-Jews said, as much as this hurts Living without Jesus hurts worse. We can't stop our gatherings, nor our gathering of folks to our flock, so they took up the mantle by the school of hard knocks. And five years later, Emperor Claudius died, and the 17-year-old Emperor Nero takes the throne. The exile of the Jews was lifted or forgotten. Either way, they came home. To find that things were different, than they were before with feeling sore they ask do y'all not observe the sabbath no more and what's with your diets if food's not kosher you don't buy it but we're not jewish it's not a sin for us to eat it and so the judgment and the hatred gets recycled and repeated i won't even get into the divisions over circumcision but things were not good not at all enter the apostle paul with instruction from the king of matchless worth to evangelize to the ends of the earth he sees one spain fits the description it was seemingly the edge of the known world and and what's this paul heard he was assured of brothers and sisters in the word living in the capital citadel which happens to be right in the middle of where Paul is and where Spain is. He says, they might aid us in making the name of names famous into the nations. But that's not all he hears. It appears his greatest fears are clear. The body is disjointed. Each one is anointed and appointed to a role, but it's pointless. They need ointment for what ails them For if this dividing nail prevails, then the church will fail him. So Paul ponders and prays, asking for ways to get them to quit Christian cliques. So he sits down, and he orates a letter to a Gentile freed slave named Tertius, but Paul calls him brother. He writes as Paul speaks his soul, and then they roll the scroll and seal it. And then he asks Phoebe to be the she that will reveal it. A female Gentile deacon delivers and eloquently recites the words that, might, that finally might end the Jew-Gentile fight. So Paul writes insightfully, enlightening the church to be tight and free to witness rightfully to the glory of God and his son who makes blind men see. Paul doesn't mumble or stumble. He just calls the church to be humble. So we see that Paul's entire purpose in this letter is to help unify the church. He constantly uses language of, of siblings to help the Romans see, you know, you're stuck with them, <laughs> just as much as you're stuck with your annoying brother. Brother and sister are not always high honors to pay to someone. Sometimes you admit regretfully, yes, I am related to that person, <laughs> but this is, this is something that Paul uses. He's trying to show them that there's something more, if, if you... If Jesus is truly your Lord and Savior, then there is a unity that goes beyond just friendship or just this social club. No, it's family. You you can have disagreements with family and still be family, sometimes, like I said, regretfully. But throughout his letters to to the Romans, Paul consistently makes five requests. He asks them to welcome and accept one another into their homes. And I, and I say he, he reminds them, but really he's, he, he's not just asking them. He's telling them, look, this is what Jesus is telling you to do. So let me just, you know, nudge, nudge, shoulder, shoulder here. He says, welcome and accept one another into your homes. He says, you are siblings in Christ, so act like it. He says, you were invited into the family, so invite other people into the same family. He says, judgment is the Lord's, so who are you to pass judgment? And he says, practice sacrificial love towards your neighbor. And if you have any experience with the Bible, you know that a neighbor is not just someone who lives right next to you. But even now, with some context of the letter to the Romans, it's easy to still look at the Roman church and say, get over it already. It's not that hard. Just be united. But if you stop to think in our modern-day scenario... It's more like, you know, we have Christians who grew up in Sunday school and then Christians who got saved this last year. And it's easy to point the finger and pass judgment and say, you're doing church wrong. And it's kind of embarrassing, even like we just took communion. And, and some people would, would be so Attached to their beliefs on how things are supposed to be done That they would actually separate themselves from others and i'm not trying to come from this holier-than-thou place because like I have opinions, too And I have styles And so yeah, I like it when people do things that are the way that I like (laughs) That's kind of how every human being works But there's something special that has to happen in the church humble submission Humble submission. Because when the members of a body do not humbly submit to one another, you faint or you collapse. Or in extreme cases, that's what a seizure looks like when a body is disjointed or literally amputated. In a real body, if members of the body do not humbly submit to each other, it falls apart. And in the body of Christ, congregations split over music styles, New carpets, calendars, and maybe even denominationalism is a result of a dysfunctional body. I don't want to claim that that's the full truth there, and I'm not trying to say that denominations are bad, but maybe. But that brings me to our next point that's going to take us to a different passage of Scripture also written by Paul And our point is that submitting to fellow Christians is how you honor Christ. So I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And you don't need to turn there. I'm just reading really one verse. Verse 21 says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The and further, Paul has just been telling these Christians in Ephesus, he's been encouraging to live a spirit-empowered life. Don't just... You know, make your way along and, and keep tutting along just like you were. No, really, live in the spirit. So he tells them to to sing songs to each other and to encourage one another and and don't be drunk. No, be filled with the spirit. And and in that same line, he says and further submit to one another out of reverence for for Christ. And this comes at a really awkward and uh, controversial part of the bible ephesians chapter 5 this next verse right after this one gets into uh how wives are supposed to submit to their husbands and then husbands are supposed to love their wives and and there's this problem that happens because we don't like to submit (laughs) but this entire passage here he it starts with submit to one another out of reverence for christ and then Paul says, this is what it looks like for wives and husbands. This is what it looks like for parents and children. This is what it looks like for slaves and masters. Yes, masters submitting to one another. If, if a master and a slave both happen to be servants of the Most High God, then even though there's this power dynamic, they're siblings. And, and they're supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ but i will say that that verse ephesians 5:22 it says wives submit to your husbands as to the lord there have been men who have run with it and 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 trampled it forgetting that they are also supposed to submit to their wives and and it has built this this ingrained attitude that just says no i'm not going to submit and honestly Um, I'm I'm gonna speak to uh, (laughs) just America, (laughs) but uh, we have independence in our blood (laughs) here in America. Submission is just about the most anti-American idea you could come up with. (laughs) I mean, I got a couple of pictures here. Oh, oh, I forgot about this. Yeah, this was our question from the beginning. Are you good at receiving criticism? If someone points out your sin, how do you respond? Because this is, this is a great place to tell if you are willing to humbly submit to one another. Because if you have a brother or a sister that you know they are totally submitted to God, and they serve him with their lives, yet they are saying that something you're doing is wrong, how do you respond? This is a good litmus test here. Because if as soon as they speak to me, my blood boils with anger, that's pretty normal, a <laughs> pretty normal human emotion. But then what do I do with that emotion? Do I blow up in their face and have a fit of rage and, and storm off and leave the church? Or do I sit and listen and say, you know what? Your two eyes see things that my four eyes can't see. And maybe you're right. Maybe I need to reevaluate. That's what humble submission looks like. But like I was saying, in America, it's just like it's not, it's not in our nature. <laughs> this is the Boston Tea Party. This is like the foundation of what America is all about. America and many other countries out there, I don't want to just single us out, but we just happen to live here, uh, or at least I do. This is like the foundation for for what we are all about the constitution and the declaration of independence are two documents that are drafted entirely <laughs> out of frustration and rebellion against a king <laughs> that is what is inside of americans blood or veins that that's what they have coursing through their veins is this you can't tell me what to do you're charging me too much money for my tea <laughs> that's that's what we all have inside of us, except now it's coffee and McDonald's. Uh, it's Starbucks and McDonald's are what's, what we're mad about. But this kind of activity that happened in the late 1700s is the same kind of attitude and, and we just call it patriotism, but, but it's this influential course of our lives that, that leads to, to other Americans who are just angry. I was looking up pictures for this, and I just, you know, typed in Google search, angry Americans, and there is plenty. There's plenty, and there's even like a, a podcast or a social group, some leader, who their group is called Angry Americans. I, I should have researched more before saying that, but anyhow, I, it's this new, this, this continuation of what has always been there since 1776. It's the same attitude that just says no, actually this is the land of the free and so i am free i do not need to submit to nobody and even right now during the the coronavirus pandemic there are there are still there are people protesting and i mean i'm not trying to say like oh yeah we should be closed we should be open that's not really my job my my submission is to god and and to do his will for me um but people are saying that if you're forcing us to stay inside this is against our contr- uh, our constitutional rights you can't cancel america freedom over fear and and i get it it's it's a fine statement but but to to have such rage and anger inside that that forces uh, me to to just refuse to to submit to anyone that's that's part of and especially if you if you talk to someone from another country, they will they will tell you their opinions about America <laughs> and, and what what uh, America has as a reputation worldwide. But some some of you aren't as angry as this. I don't think I'm quite as angry as some of these other pictures, but even if you're not angry and you're American, you still make signs like this. I'm really not happy about this. <laughs> That's the kindest protest I've ever seen. <laughs> but this is this is something that we have to fight against and yes I, i'm sure other countries have this issue too but I, I feel like there's something especially for us americans that just says we have to fight against we, we have to literally deny our rights of freedom land of the free home of the brave but i have to say i'm actually going to push that to the side because i'm a christian first before i'm, I'm an american uh, i'm a christian before i have all these rights so I'm going to lay down my rights and submit to one another. And, and just to be clear, what we're talking about here is submission from Christian to Christian. There are other places in Scripture that talk about submission to authorities. That is totally not what I'm talking about here today at all. But there is this rage that, that happens when someone tells me that I'm doing something wrong, and if I am a Christian and they are a Christian, then I have a duty, I have a responsibility to say, I am going to, I'm going to refuse my rights for a moment. I'm going to ignore the fact that I think I am awesome, and I'm going to listen. And it's, it's hard to do when, when you uh, sang the national anthem and recited the Pledge of Allegiance every day for all of elementary school and middle school and high school. It's tough. But So my challenge is to be a Christian before you're an American. And then my next point that's going to bring us to another passage of Scripture is that Jesus instructs his followers to wash one another's feet and love one another. Then he leads by example. So I'm just going to turn again. I'm just, just looking at a couple of verses here. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but but john uh, john chapter 13 this is the beginning of of the passover feast and this is the beginning of in john the upper room discourse where where jesus has this long discussion and and these prayers and all of oh man there's such good stuff between john 13 and john 17 it's just one of my favorite passages of Scripture ever. And it's so beautiful, and this is where it starts. They have prepared a a Passover meal, and they're getting ready to eat. And it's kind of customary in this time that if there is a house servant wherever you're eating, if you're going to sit down at the table, then the servant would bend down and wash the feet of the guests. And Jesus, he takes the position of that servant. All of his disciples have sat, down, have sat down already and he gives himself the appearance of a servant. He takes off, you know, his normal person clothes and, and he stoops down and with a towel that he has tied around his waist and with a bowl of water, he washes their feet. He washes their, I've been walking around the dusty town in sandals feet. He washes their, I was walking around, uh, I was walking behind a donkey all day. He washes those feet. And Peter is so upset about it, he says, whoa, you're not going to wash my feet. Like, you are my master. I'm not going to allow my master to wash my feet. And Jesus so boldly says, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And then Peter says, oh, well, okay, if that's the case, then, then I wash everything. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't need a bath. You smell fine right now. All you need is your feet washed. And, and after he does that, he says, You call me teacher and Lord, and, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash each other's feet. So he gives them this instruction, but he he led by example the whole time. He led by example that whole time. And... This is a tough thing because there are some of you out there who hate feet. You hate them. You look at them and you get grossed out. You are picturing like your grandma's pinky toe and you're like, I can't. The good news is that there are lots of ways to wash each other's feet without actual hand-to-foot contact. (laughs) Lots of ways. Like praying for one another. I think this is one of the most practical ways we can wash each other's feet is is that there is this this opportunity to encourage someone and to take their concerns before the Lord man praying for some for for someone is a way to wash one another's feet cooking a meal for someone in difficult circumstances i just want to give a shout out to the women's ministry all of you ladies who organize meal trains because i that's just like beyond my skill set, <laughs> and, and you organize this, and you ladies cook, and you cook amazing food, <laughs> and I, you know, to be in a difficult circumstance, and to have someone come over and deliver a home-cooked meal, that is, that is washing someone's feet, and, and I, that, that is just a super practical way. Mowing someone's lawn, maybe there's someone in the church who, you know, they can't leave their house, and their lawn is just kind of getting out of control, and man, what a practical way to just go and, and say, I know, I see there's something that needs to be done, and I'm going to do it for you. Because, I mean, washing each other's feet, you could literally wash your own feet if you wanted to. That's fine. Just take a shower, you know, do that. But washing someone else's feet says, before you even get to that, I'm going to help. Or if you're not super extroverted and don't like actual face-to-face contact at all, especially when we're social distancing, you can write a kind note. Man, because many of us have received a, you know, a, a birthday card with a handwritten note in it or, or just a, a thank you an encouragement and encouragement. And man, it means something. It really, really means something. When you receive a note that is filled with, with just love towards you, and, and you open it and you read every word and you know that they wrote it or even typed typed is fine I'm Not not trying to bag on the digital age but receiving a note like that Is is a great way to wash someone's feet And this last one is probably the one that i'm worst at um, but asking how you can help And, and I put this on here because there were lots of times where I would assume that I knew what someone needed and I would come to offer my help. And they would be like, actually, we're good. And I'd be like, (coughs) what? (laughs) I (laughs) was so kind to go out of my way to help you, and you don't want it? Uh, But people have needs that we don't know about. And if we would just ask. But the problem with this one is that when you ask, you have to be ready to help. (laughs) You have to be ready to help. Because they can say anything once you say, how can I help? But that's a great way to wash one another's feet So in in the point I said that that jesus Instructed his disciples to wash their feet And then love one another and jesus led an example and so yeah sure jesus led an example by washing each other's feet but Did how did jesus lead an example by loving one another where in the bible do we see jesus Leading by example in that area Oh, yeah cross later in the book of john jesus says that greater love has no man than this that he would lay down his life for his friends and i call you friends and his disciples are still kind of mystified they don't quite know and then he goes to a cross literally to die for his friends and who did Jesus die for? Just those 12? Yeah, he died for them, but not just them. He died for everyone. He died for people who didn't even know he existed. He died for people who were so much drowning in sin that they didn't even have an opportunity to see the light of day. And he died for them so that they could receive an invitation back to the intimate surroundings of the father to be right in his presence that they could be invited into the family adopted into the family he died so that we could be done (laughs) with sin he died so that he would always have victory over sin and if we would trust in him as our lord and savior then his victory would count for us too And it's a struggle still. There's lots of things vying for our attention, asking us to pull away from God and go towards them. But but through Jesus' cross, we all have the power through the Holy Spirit to be close to the Father, to be right at home with Dad. Jesus led by example in washing each other's feet and loving one another. Did you know that being a part of a disciple group is a fast track to washing each other's feet? It's true. (laughs) It really is. Because all of a sudden, you are in connection with people every week, and you have an opportunity to serve. If your disciple group has a meal and you each get to contribute, then all of a sudden you are participating. All of a sudden you are doing something that needs to be done. You get to pray with each other. You get to talk with each other, give encouraging words. Sometimes, literally, it doesn't even take a word. Just your presence is enough. Because some of the disciple group leaders, they uh, go through the hard work of preparing messages, preparing meals, opening up their home. And when you prepare that space the greatest blessing that you could have is people coming in to fill that space. And so even just by being there, you're already washing the feet of the host. <laughs> you're already washing the feet of, of the teaching leader. You're already watching the, washing, the host of, uh, washing the feet of, of all of these leaders, of all of these people. And like Greg has taught in the, in the earlier messages of this series, uh, you can't say that you don't need them. So uh, th- what I'm saying is you, you don't know what you're missing out on. Th- there, there is a group of 8 to 12 people, or whatever our limits are. <laughs> There's a group of that many people who you're missing out on on this connection with them. But then on the flip side, you have no clue what they are missing out on by you not being there. And it's kind of hard for me to say because I'm super, super arrogant and <laughs> it's easier for me to be like, well, you know what? You said that, and yeah, I am pretty awesome. They really are missing out. I should change that. But to you who, who tend towards humility, those of you who, who are humble at heart, who, who aren't sure if other people need them, I'm speaking right to you, and I'm saying, you don't know what other people are missing out on when you don't show up. They need you. And it gets confusing when I talk about this, because I'm like, yeah, the group needs you. And you're like, well, which group? And I'm like, well, they all need you. And then you're like, well, do I go to all of them? It's like, well, no, no. You just, one group needs you, and I don't know exactly which one, but reach out. It's worth it. It's a fast track to being obedient to Christ, to listening to his command. It's a fast track to submitting to fellow Christians. Because you open yourself up to criticism. Other people open themselves up to you to, for, for criticism, to, to call you out in your sin, to draw you near to the Father. This is a fast track to humbling, submitting to one another. If you're not a Christian and you're watching today, I just want to be super clear that washing feet and loving Christians won't give you peace with God. Only Jesus can do that. If you just plop down at a church with a basin of water and a towel and you just start washing people's feet, that doesn't save you. That doesn't eliminate your sin. If you just all of a sudden are, start being really kind to people at church, it doesn't save you. Those behaviors are a natural response of people who have been saved, who have who have had their sin eliminated people who have been brought straight into the presence of God and the only re- practical response is to is overflowing love towards other believers and washing their feet and caring for, for, for others. It is only by the blood of Jesus that I am even empowered to, to love others properly, to love others rightly, like I should. So... If Jesus is really alive and if he's really the son of God and he really offers peace with God, then pursue him. Pursue him and, and then you will be filled with a random desire to wash someone's feet. And if you are a Christian... Display Jesus's world. Uh, Jesus's, <laughs> display Jesus to the world <laughs> by loving one another. This is actually a verse that I skipped somehow. In John chapter thirteen, he says, "A new commandment I give you, that just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. By this, the entire world will know that you are Christians if you have love for one another." So, as Christians, if we love one another, we are a billboard advertisement saying Jesus is real. His love is real. The church is alive. That is how the world knows if we are followers of Jesus, if we love one another. And joining a disciple group gives you ample opportunity to love one another. And we have opportunities inside of our larger church meetings, and you probably have opportunities inside of your family and work and school. Maybe you have Christian friends there, but... Being in a disciple group is something that is special that you can invite other people into that is, that is um, opening yourself up to other Christians to have real community. And obviously there are lots of ways to do that, but that's how we're doing that here at this church. So we want to invite you to participate. And honestly, even over the last month and a half, We've still been having disciple groups over Zoom. And it's pretty great. (laughs) Even without being able to be directly in each other's physical vicinity. um, Man, you can wash each other's feet (laughs) digitally. So I want to encourage you to to look into it. To pray. If God isn't calling you to it, uh, I I don't know. (laughs) But I... I want to ask you to pray and and find that he is calling you. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for your great love for us, God. Lord, that you care for us so much that there was no cost that was too great. God, you saw us floundering around in our sin and swimming further and further away from you and yet You had compassion on us. And you knew that a sacrifice needed to be made. Because if there's ever a gap between two people, someone has to sacrifice in order to bridge that gap. And God, that's how you designed it, and you knew that there had to be a sacrifice. And you didn't wait for us to sacrifice. God, you you stepped first. You acted first through your son thank you. We thank you, God. Lord, would you fill us with the love that can only come from you so that we might be able to love each other correctly, to to accurately reflect who you are. God, would you allow our love towards each other to be a uh, giant sign to the world that the church is alive and that it's different and that it's strange And that it's worth it. Because you are worth it. God, help us to um, not get stuck in um, in the traps of the enemy thinking that life is just about getting our next paycheck or, or when is the next stimulus check coming. But God, you have a purpose for this world, for our lives. It is so much greater. Lord, help us to look at the sky with wonder and amazement. Help us to look at the trees and And just say, how is it even possible unless it was all created by you? And God, help us to see that you want us to be near to you. And that there are people who still aren't. And we have an opportunity to show them the truth of who you are. God, help us to live that out. God, we want to glorify your name. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us.